0: My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars, discussions, interviews, sales quick tips, everything to sharpen the saw and make you a better salesperson. Hello, sales warriors, and happy new year and happy holidays to you. Hope you had a nice, relaxing Christmas and New Year season. We're back on the uh, men here with the uh, Sales Fix podcast, getting an episode going again. And uh, we're going to kick off the year kind of on a slow and mellow feeling. And what I mean by slow and mellow feeling is I recorded this session with the two Steves right before the holidays where we share kind of what we call our bad beats and our lucky wins uh, as well as swapping some other funny sales stories. So it's just a relaxed conversation, but there's some good sales nuggets in there for you to pick up and get inspired off of. I really appreciate the feedback I've been getting from some of you about the podcast. Um, All the notes that came in around the holidays were great. A bunch of people made some last-minute big sales uh, by uh, re-listening to some of the podcast episodes from uh, this current year. So really appreciate that. We'll keep the uh, good content coming your way. And so without further ado, let's hear uh, this conversation from the two Steves.
1: Welcome to the Sales Fix Podcast.
0: Your host, Julian Rekeseen. Good afternoon, evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Back with the two Steves. Been a while since we've done one of these little roundtable episodes. So, over to do that. And uh, on top of that, both of them are quarantined and not able to leave their house. So, that makes them a very convenient target to get them uh, recorded. So, across three states, brought to you through the power of the internet, the Sales Fix Podcast. Gentlemen, uh, I'm not going to ask you how are you because we've already established on a past podcast that that is a bad way to open up a conversation. Um, so I, we'll kick it off with a question and go round roundtable. Um, one of the questions I always ask my guests, and I don't know that most of the audience knows it for you guys, is what your sales origin story is. How did you end up in sales? Um, so, uh, Corda, you want to kick us off, and then we'll go to Davis, and then I'll tell mine.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, It's a, I mean, it is an epic yeah, I didn't get, and I, we've talked a little bit before, but it's like I thought, I did not think well of salespeople. I, I had all the wrong prejudices, preconceptions, uh, everything that we talk about, did the notions we all talk about dispelling. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You know. And I was, and it just burned me that these guys were living a lifestyle that I would have liked to have lived.
0: Um, (laughs) You just liked the fact that we could expense meals and lap dances and you couldn't as a reporter.
1: I was, was, yeah, I was talking to people like, oh, I cannot imagine saving enough money to eat and entertain the way these guys do. (laughs) I honestly said that one time to one of the copy editors. We should let it be known that you and I met at, uh. A metro newspaper, yeah, small, Correct. small suburban daily. Um, yep. and that business, it really uh, solidifies, hit home that concept of uh, the negative ideas of of salespeople. There was a, of course, there is no more Berlin Wall, but there was a Berlin Wall between editorial and sales. Yeah, and the thought being was that the salespeople would come over and influence stories. Yep, and influence. Uh, you know, by it's funny that we were worried about biased reporting at the time, but <laughs> even, the, even the perception of biased reporting. But yeah, we did not want to the news editor didn't want to give an appearance that they were chumming around with people who yep. might convince them not to cover a big sponsor that had done something wrong.
0: Yeah, or even so, just like, um, hey, this brand-new restaurant opened up. I'm I'm talking to them about an advertising campaign. It would be really great if you guys could write an article about the new opening of this restaurant, right? Nine. Uh, exactly. Will not happen. You know, you
1: shall not pass. Yeah, that was the – Bill! Uh, Bill Pigeon! Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so even there, th- what's the message there? Untrustworthy. Uh, no integrity. Yep. We'll trade morals for – I'm remembering a line from Animal House, but we'll trade morals for um, – For dollars, so I had that attitude, and then you you crossed over that sort of maginot line of I did. We we became friends, and slowly but surely, you know, we coached together. There's a sale in coaching. I've managed political campaigns. There's a sale. I have to convince the voter of the ROI of voting for my candidate. Interesting. I have to convince my student of the ROI of reading. People don't know that behind the scenes we mostly talk about Russian literature. We were arguing Tolstoy yeah. versus Dostoevsky yeah. versus I wish I knew a third name, but <laughs> the, um, they, you know, teaching them the value of literature, the value of uh, of grammar and punctuation. You got to teach that, the ROI there. And long story longer, you kind of called me out of the blue one time and you said, Cordo, what does the word, what does the phrase ROI mean to you? <laughs> Maybe you want to take it from there or? I don't just remember. That whole, I don't remember. Oh that. yeah, no, I just yeah, and and you just said well, the, and I just said well, that's that's return on investment. That's what you get over and above. You know, is the is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. That's what you get over and above. You know, people know what ROI. Who are listening, and you go, then why can't the people I'm training get it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they couldn't do the math. That was the uh, yep. that was the challenge. That was
1: yeah. Well, I can't do the math. Davis, either.
0: you've been very, very quiet, which Im- yes. implies you yep. better say something, because it implies that you fit all those negative stereotypes that Corda uh, was talking about sales.
2: <laughs> I don't know the story, but it was chuckling alongside with you guys. Yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's, I, I, uh, I, oh, go ahead. When I hear yeah. my voice too long, I feel like there's something wrong. Like maybe somebody's passed out. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs>
2: my my entry into sales, I, I kind of stumbled into it. I, I uh, had to take a, um, in, in college, I had to do a job shadow. And uh, the person that I was going to shadow was the CEO of a major bank in um in in the greater Seattle area, I just reached out to him, and he he took pity on a college student. It was kind of a cool opportunity. Uh, why I reached out to him, I can't remember, but at any rate, we weren't able to meet up and And so I like a typical college student procrastinated and had to shadow someone. so I shadowed my dad, who was uh, a mortgage broker at the time, and he he started talking to me about what he was doing and um you know the the fun he was having, the independence of being uh, you know self employed and uh, encouraged me to, um, you know, to, to spend a little bit more time during my senior year in, in, in school, going up to his office and just kind of checking it out. And so I, um, I ended up taking, I ended up taking that on in a kind of a part-time gig while I was finishing my degree, and um, started, you know, just understanding a little bit more about the process and how do you go and find clients in a 100% commission role. And uh, at any rate, I made that transition after school. And never thought that I was going to be in the mortgage business, never thought I was going to be a, you know, an independent consultant, if you will, um, working for myself at the age of 21. And it it turned out that it was a good fit. Um, You know, I I remember sitting in in my office, you know, the first couple of weeks and just realizing like, I had, where am I going to get business? How am I going to get a paycheck? You know, I gotta, I never thought it was a sales job. I never thought of it as a sales job at the time, Uh, but learning how, you know, yeah. Right. And, Learning on the fly how how to um, establish you know a really strong um, referral network with with other colleagues that that were like minded um, to try and find uh, potential clients that we could help in, in at the time an incredibly booming real estate market and at any rate I, I ended up being really successful at it I, I was uh, you know just the, the top producer in the office and ended up um, we you know we'd hire folks and you know, they'd come and do the same thing that I was doing, sitting around trying to figure out what they were going to do. And uh, they'd come asking me for questions and asking me for help. And I finally went to my dad, like, this isn't going to work. You can't hire people and not train them. You can't hire people and tell them to go ask me questions. I've got a job to do, right? And and I don't mind helping them, but that doesn't help me in terms of paying my bills, right? So uh, ended up taking on a sales manager role or, you know, just the, the role of, of managing the sales folks in the mortgage office that we had, um, which was awful. I was horrible. I would never have wanted to work for me back then. And <laughs> frankly, I guess I don't know if i would going to work for you now, wow. but it, man, what a, what an experience. Uh, what a, just a really, really phenomenal experience. And and I think I had the advantage getting in when I did Um, In that coming straight out of college, I I had a learning hat on. Like I I just I was always absorbing more information, not knowing enough about not knowing enough about the industry, more importantly, not knowing enough about sales. And so um, what I ended up doing is reading a ton. Uh, I ended up with a colleague. We formed a little bit of a book club. We'd get together on a weekly basis, um, and we'd read a lot of. Uh, Stephen Covey, or Neil Rackman, um, or um, Brian Tracy, and just random books on on self improvement and continual learning, and um, and then just trying to to practice, you know, put put that information into practice. You know, be, yeah. be diligent about goal setting, be diligent about writing that down, uh, be diligent about um, making sure that that I'm. I'm Working on the big rocks. I'm, I'm putting first things first. Be diligent, incredibly diligent about time blocking, and understand the the, the magic quadrant of of, of time blocking. Mm. Um, and man, that stuff paid off. Just absolutely paid off.
0: Seven um, Habits of Highly Effective. I got people. out of that business. Well, I, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey is probably one of the best sales books ever written. Even though nobody who reads it thinks it's a sales book, but it re- really, yeah, I mean, you know, I same thing. I've got a dog-eared copy with pencil marks all out through it, and it's just unbelievable how many times I've I've gone back to that book. But I love that you also said something, Davis, that I think is just it's it's key to highlight it because it's so important, right? You like you went to your dad and said, "Hey, you can't just hire salespeople and not train them, yeah. right?" and yeah, and and what I hear there is, I'm sure your dad was training them on mortgages. He was training them on the product, right? He was training them on, on the product. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And and I just had a conversation today with a potential client that I was talking to and, and she asked a really good question. I thought it was a really good question anyway. She's like, hey, well, typically like, do you walk into places and it's always a different problem or do you walk in and face kind of like consistently the same problems? And I said, I consistently face the same problems. And she said, what's the top one? I said, the organization tra- trains their salespeople on the product. And then they're surprised that their salespeople go out and vomit product information on any unsuspecting person walking by because that's all they have to reach for. They haven't taught them anything about the approach, right? So, and that's so key because I think that's a mistake that, you know, so many companies are making, so many managers are making. They're like, ah, you know what, Davis, I need to train you. Well, that means I need to make you even better at spouting out product information right let me teach you yeah. more and i've got somebody who is is not going to be named because it would expose her her employer but i was having a recent conversation with somebody who is in a sales role for a major software company and the software company continues to get her to take trainings on the software they have software experts right i don't know what they're called at that company but call them like you know product or engineering people right and they're training all their salespeople to be more like the product and engineering people, which brings up two questions. Why are you hiring salespeople to train them as engineers? And why do you have engineers if you're just going to train your salespeople to also be engineers? Right. So and, and again, in the in the quest for being better, the, you know, I mean I don't mean this as a rip to engineers, right? But I can find product knowledge a whole lot easier than I can. I guess the way I would say it is I can be great at my product, but if I can't get into the room to have a conversation with the client, what good is that information doing me? Right. Versus a person that gets the door open and and gets the engineers in front of the clients.
2: I think that's it. Like with, with, with having product knowledge, you need to, you need to know your product. You need to understand um, the benefits of it, the features of it, but that's not the sales portion of it. Correct. Um, From a sales perspective, you need to know how to open the door and build relationships uh, identify problems that your product can solve and then present the solutions. And um, if you're able to go through that that method, you can get other people to help you on the product side, right? And whether it's your manager, whether it's a, a software engineer, whether it's a, a, an expert, yeah, you got to be well-versed, but uh, you need to be able to go and, and break down those barriers. And the only way to do that is uh, following a, a
1: good, solid sales
0: process. Yeah, and having and having that approach. Corda, you want to say something? I can tell.
1: Yes i want some i want to clarify something i think i heard davis say your first job was hundred percent commission yeah that's correct wow <laughs> that was, <laughs> I, what was the what's the mindset going into that as a as a young guy i mean did you did you not know what you didn't know did you think it was cool
2: uh I, I, yeah a
1: little bit of both uh you, you First this off, it was
2: hundred percent commission. Yeah, and and secondly, it was a ten ninety nine employee. So not only did I like I lived and breathed the paycheck. Um, I had to be diligent enough to make sure that when I got paid, I put a chunk of it aside so I could pay taxes. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I you know, it's tough. That was such a long time ago. I mean, I I remember um, understanding that I was in control of, I was in direct control of my paycheck. Um, and and um. I really enjoyed that. I really liked the idea that I can put in more work, and if I get better at what I do, I can see a direct benefit of that versus um, working in nine to five where I knew it was an hourly wage or a salary and um, and, and that would be flat. Um, and I you know looking back on it, like that's I think that that uh, positive reinforcement of of you know in that case commissions or sales or or just a paycheck, owning that myself is is a, was a um a marker of why I've really enjoyed being in, in the field of sales.
0: Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah 100% that sense mission. of control, which is terrifying. <laughs> I think there's a there's a huge chunk of the population that lives under the false myth that their outcome is not tied to their effort or their activity, right? Things happen to yeah. them, and I, the the fir- the first I think the first big sort of. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, ber- the, the first big epiphany, I will say, that you have to have to be successful in sales, and I would also stipulate also successful in life, is you have to accept responsibility. You have to say not 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 no bad things happen to me that I'm not under control. I didn't control COVID coming into the market, right? But I control how I react to it. I control what I choose to do. I control whether I dwell on it, stay focused on it, obsess over it, get defeatist, or whether I keep rolling and moving with the punches, right? And and I think that that first sort of epiphany and the people who lock onto that I think are drawn to sales because they're like, wow, I can affect my outcome. It doesn't matter how long I've been at the company. Guy can be been 25 years longer than me if i pr- outproduce everybody i'll out earn everybody and let's be honest most top yeah. salespeople make more than the person managing yeah. them and that's the way it should be in my opinion that's absolutely the way it should be yeah. right so it's yeah it's a pay that's cut to go to go management from being a top salesperson
1: right so that, that's how you turn me to the dark side julian yeah one day you came over and you said who is steve corda and why is he the entire weekend sports? <laughs> I noticed there was one guy writing. It was Pareto's principle. Was like there's one yeah. guy writing 80% of the articles. In the t-
0: what the heck is going then, on over here? There's over five the years, sports said, writers, and yeah. one of them wrote 80% of the darn paper this weekend, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. and it, yeah, and over the years, you just got right to what's, what Davis was saying. And I'm going to deflect away from myself here in a second, but that concept of, your income is tied into how hard you're willing to work. And I want people who may have just have a mild interest in sales or they're kind of tangential to sales to hear this. Cause I was in gigs where, you know, teaching and coaching, you get there at six in the morning to open the weight room and you're there scouting an opponent till 11 at night. Meanwhile, somebody's got their hands, you know, laced behind their, back, their the back of their head, their heels up on the table and they're making almost basically the same as you. And you, you, yeah. just, you chipped away at that.
0: So that, I'll, that, I'll, I'll amend that slightly because I don't think it's about working as hard as much as it is about as smart as you want to work, not as hard as yeah. you want to work. And, and I say that because part of what attracted me to sales, I want to be completely 100% to okay. a fault honest in this statement here, right? If you went back and talked to all my high school teachers, the universal theme they would have told you is smart, ton of potential. Lazy as a dog, doesn't feel like doing any of the work, right? That was me to a t. I was a B student in high school because it required very little work to be a B student. If I had actually done any kind of effort at doing homework in high school, I would have been a straight A student. I could get away with being a B student with very minimal work. and and because of that, right? The, what what drew me to sales once I discovered it and locked into it was, I can make enough money that I can blow off a Friday afternoon and it doesn't matter. It won't affect my income. And they're not going to fire me, right, because I'm bringing in so much money, I'm profitable for the company. And there is no value statement more easy to calculate at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter, or at the end of the year than for the company to say, OK, how much should it cost us to have Rekosin on staff? OK, how much should he bring in? Yeah, we're good on that. Let's go look at other positions to eliminate, right? Where this one, and I I, I feel for the people in accounting, I feel for the people in marketing because it's a lot harder for them to get that solid number tied to their effort, right? It's just a lot more difficult for them to be able to do that.
1: There was a great reporter, great writer, and he went and asked for a raise and the editor told him, he said, it's not like you're a salesperson bringing in $250,000 worth of revenue every quarter. Wow. In which case I could, I mean it wasn't a put down of the position it's right. like how do you calculate value
0: Yeah I'm just surprised and, I'm surprised Tom would have said that to somebody because I know I know it was Tom or probably who no, said no no? No, no 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 this was okay.
1: this was a guy that ended up a VP of one of the one of the corporate, one of the big corporate uh, media conglomerates yeah, wanted so- to mentor me and you can see how well I followed up on that. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to, uh, I want to, I want to push this back to Davis because there's two things that stuck out. First of yeah, all, and I'm talking and about, remember, us. let's talk about Davis. Once, yeah, yeah. Enough about me. <laughs> talk about me. Let's talk enough about Steve. Let's talk about Steven. Um, the, and I just, I remember it, it, you just brought me back to, they train you in college to be a journalist in there. Here's how you write. So you learn the writing. And then there's things like cultivate sources, break breaking news. And then you sit down at your desk and you got your phone and you're getting your paycheck. And okay, how, how do I cultivate sources? How do I break news? So I can just imagine if my entire check depended that day on, how do I cultivate a lead? How do I, you know, and then the sales cycle, I would be terrified. You were, t- you were talking about building a network. I'm like, I don't need a network. I need to pay. I need to pay. I need to close by noon. Yeah. But, and then I want to, I, I have this, I have a, a thought, but a question. Um, so you went from total 100% commission only, and then you became a manager. Were you managing folks older than you? What was the age breakdown in that office? Cause it sounds like this was kind of early in the career too
2: yeah um and i'd like to you know i I hope it wasn't nepotism when it comes down to it i was working for my dad and uh you know i when i went to him and this doesn't work i wasn't necessarily looking to manage the team i was just looking to leave me alone right leave me alone or if you want me to do that then we need to have a conversation about that yeah Um,
0: i'm not training for free at the expense of making sales calls and winning sales and making commissions yeah.
2: yeah yeah and And I guess to to not sound terribly arrogant, but I was the top producer um, by a long shot. Uh, and you know I, so I was confident in my skill and my ability. Um I was confident in my product knowledge, and um, I, I tend to be a bit of a quantitative thinker and and in that industry, I think that that really helps. You know I was um, really trying to pay attention to industry trends. Uh, in the case of the mortgage industry, what was moving interest rates up or down? What are some of the predictive analytics behind that? And I think that, um, you know, that value that I was able to bring to myself, I was able to bring to my clients, the partners that I had that um, within my referral network, and then ultimately, I guess the hope was from, um, you know, from the folks that I was training. Uh, And, you know, it was interesting, Julian, you talk about product features, and you talk about a sales process. um, You know, I, I certainly knew enough about the product. But what was really interesting when I look back on it, one of the big things that I was a big proponent of was just the daily sales activity. What are the inputs? What what activities are you going to do every single day that whether you um, successfully find a client or not, you can leave at the end of the day happy knowing that you put in the work that if you do that day in and day out, you're going to find success.
0: Yeah, I um, love that. I or love you
2: asked, you, you know, was I, was I uh, managing people that were older than me? Absolutely. I mean, at, at that point, I was You know 22 23 probably 23 24 years old um but
1: the point wasn't weird yeah the point of asking that is that i mean that's at that point you're not leaning on anything other than pure process and pure results you're not i mean you're not coming in as a 50 year old that's managing 25 year olds and people go, so you don't have that automatic presence. What I was talking about is you went from a, yeah. that's more what I was shooting at is you, you went from having to learn a sales process to now a process of of combining sales goals. Anyway, so that, yeah, yeah. I just, that's more what I was getting at. Cause with those, cause you've removed all of the signs of prestige and, and automatic presence that a, an older person might have. And you were stuck with just yeah. your process and what you had to offer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, I think that's what it is. And, and the results and the results that I had that had people asking, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. You know, what it, are you doing it, differently? it parallels. It's interesting. It parallels my journey. So I had done sales stuff without recognizing that it was sales stuff. Kind of what you said, Davis. Right. It was like, I didn't think it was sales. I was just yeah. told go get business. Right. Yeah. So um, in, 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 in college, I, I went and sold ads for the radio station without realizing they're like, Hey, go talk to a bunch of businesses and seal fill sponsor. Right. So if you'd asked me at the time, what what did you do today? Oh, I went out and found sponsors for the radio station. But the word sale wouldn't have occurred. Of course, there's no sales curriculum in 99% of universities, right? Even though there's a sales department in virtually every company. Um, and and yeah. um, what happened for me was I went down this path, you know, chasing the arts, the writing, and that kind of stuff for a little while. And I was working in theater arts and those things. And I realized at some point that, you know, I looked at the people that 35 years ahead of me in their career. And I'm like, that's not where I want to be 35 years from now. So I need to reanalyze and do something different. So at the time I talked to my older brother and he said, well, you love writing. Why don't you get a job writing something? Right. And he said, you should go talk to all the newspapers in town and apply for a writing position. And so I did almost that. I went to all the newspapers in town and applied for a position, but I forgot to specify that I was seeking a writing position, right? So I came in and I did a bunch of interviews with this newspaper that that Corda was talking about where we met. And, uh, you know, first interview went great. It was kind of a panel interview, right? And then I got brought in for a second interview with this guy and did a second interview with him. And essentially, he called me back at the end of that interview, like a couple hours, and he said, look, I'd like to offer you a position. You know, here's what it pays. Will you come in and will you start Monday? And I was like, sure. You know, things were less complicated back then. They moved quicker, right? And so uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm in, right? So I thought, sweet landed myself my writing job I'm so excited right and uh, i showed up on the first day and they're like your desk is over here you know where there's a bathroom okay here's a ray card go sell some ads that was my sales training at the time right and i was like what what's going on right go sell go sell some ads and i'm like okay yeah. they want me to land some sponsors for a little while and then they'll you know start giving me writing assignments or something i i literally was that clueless at you know at that age so I mean, I knew I was in the ad sales department, but you guys get my drift. And there's two things that happened there that really changed. So the first thing I did was I did everything I, it, at that point. My default reflex was, well, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to look around at the people around me that have my position and I'm just going to do what they do, right? The Tony Robbins sort of shortcut to success, which is model off of people that have the result that you want. I noticed a lot of these people were sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. They weren't really going out and making calls. They weren't doing those things. So, um, I I you know I got a little bit more aggressive with it just because I was like well I you know my phone's not ringing I got handed a territory that wasn't very active so I was like I'm just going to go introduce myself to people in the area so that was kind of initial so I'm doing okay and then we were about I want to say 6 months into this job this guy showed up and he was selling a sales training package and they let him come into the sales meeting to pitch all of us on a sales training package and it was i think the package was like eight hundred dollars and back then eight hundred dollars was probably what i was making a week right so it was that was a decent investment it was a quarter of my month and for that you got this series of nine cassettes that had sales training stuff on it brian tracy zig ziglar a couple of others and you also got tickets to 10 speakers over the course of the next 12 months that were coming into the seattle area They were downtown. You would go and they would bring in Brian Tracy. They would bring in Tom Hopkins. They would bring in those kinds of people. I'm the only rep in that room that bought that set because the newspaper was like, we're not paying for it. And the attitude generally with my peers was, if you guys want me to buy sales training, you should pay for it if you want me to go get sales trained. And in a rare moment of clairvoyance and clear thinking for my age, right? Because I was 25, 26 years old. I went, I'm pretty sure sales training comes with me if I ever leave the company. I don't think it's like furniture that I'm going to leave here. I'm going to take it with me. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. You know, I mean, I bought some other stuff. I'll buy that. So I bought me and the sales manager are the only two people, me and the ad sales director were the only two people in that room who bought it. Right? So the first thing it did is it got me noticed by management as this is somebody who's hungry and who's trying to learn. Right. Now, I went to all these things. Some of them were mediocre. Some of them were pretty good. The best one, the one that got me hooked, was Brian Tracy's Psychology of Selling. To this day, one of my favorite mm-hmm. sales trainings over. It's a bit dated now, but it's still excellent. And I was listening to this thing constantly. I was, I bought the cassette tapes when I was at the actual event and I had the full set and I was in the car. I was listening to that stuff. I lived on the West side in Seattle and my office was on the East side. So I was doing two and a half hours of traffic a day. So I basically had, you know, I'm doing some quick math. What is that? 180 minutes, right? Or 150 minutes of, of education in my brain going in. And pretty soon some good stuff started coming back out and, 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 and that piece you brought up, Corda, I noticed none of my, none of my uh, colleagues were making a lot of cold calls. They were kind of relying on their existing book of business. So I came up with this idea. I made a flyer, which I wrapped around the newspaper with a rubber band. And I made a flyer that said to advertise a free copy of the paper to advertise or subscribe, call this number. And there was my number at the bottom. And I would just minimum activity. I would go out t- 10 times a day. I would find a business. I would walk in. Ask for the owner. When they would come out, I'd hand them the paper and go, hey, I'm with the blah, blah paper. Here's a free copy of today's paper. And I would on purpose not sell them because I had already been taught something about reversing a little bit at that point. And I'd start to walk out. And literally 30 to 40% of those calls, the business owner would be, well, aren't you going to try to sell me something? And I'd turn around and just go, sure. What would you like me to sell you? And they said, I, I don't know. What, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what do you what do you want to buy? And they're like, Well, we don't know. I'm like, well, should we sit down and talk about it and figure out what you need and what you can afford? And they're like, Yeah, great. Right. And so that kept me in enough meetings that I quickly became one of the performers in that organization. Again, not because it was me, because the right science was coming out of my mouth because it had gone into my ears. Right. And then the the piece that um the, the piece that in the overall scheme of things became very interesting. And this goes back to my high school career. Because what quickly started to happen is I started to outperforming everybody. And I was the first one in the office every day, but I also disappeared a lot of afternoons. I went to the movies at 3, right? Uh, Back then, I had a little bit of a skiing habit, skiing problem, I might even say. So I don't think there was ever a Friday afternoon where my phone or pager was getting answered after 2.30. Because I was on my way up to Baker or out to Snoqualmie Pass to go skiing in winter or hiking in summer. Right.
1: You had no problem skiing. You were just doing it when you're supposed to be at work. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And um,
0: and what happened was at some point, a couple, you know, well, first of all, a year later, I was the sales manager. Right. I was the one they promoted, causing a couple people to actually quit in protest because they're like, well, I've been here five years longer than Julian. I was like, yeah, but Julian's one of the top salespeople. You're consistently middle of the pack. I also got handed more opportunity, bigger territories, those kinds of things that, you know, help me um, uh, do better. But, you know, I, I, again, it was my motivation at the time was how quickly can I get my work done, make money and go have fun. Cause I, you know, I lived in, at the time, I think one of the most amazing cities in the country, the economy was booming. We had wildlife and whales and mountains and all kinds of great stuff all around us. It was, you know, it was just such a great place to be a single guy. And I went just like you know truck that stuff, but it was literally buying that cassette tape set that and it that created a life a lifetime obsession around sales training and and understanding sales psychology and sales process better. I became obsessed with it till I was buying and buying all kinds of stuff because I saw such amazing results off the first one. Right?
2: You know, and it, it's amazing to me um, with how easy it is to gain access to information today with podcasts that are free with yep. Google yep. search results that are free with books that cause minimum investment, um, that, that there's not for sales professionals. I don't see that level of investment for, for most of them. Uh, you know, I don't see them pouring, pouring themselves into educating themselves on ways that they could help further their careers, not, not their job, but further their career at any job that they can go to. And if you, if you get that process down, um, and, 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 and can nail it, you can go to any company and be a top sales performer yeah, and exactly And right. that concept, Julian actually you were living in washington d c and I was working with Lisa at the time, yep, yeah. and I remember going out we were we were doing a a project together, and we were interviewing a chef um for a a video series that we were doing and he he said that the best advice that he was ever given, and it was given to him by some you know super fancy chef like a I don't know like an Anthony Bourdain or someone like that, right? Someone that just you know is well respected um and he said. What I was told is go get a job in a kitchen, right? And go get a job in a kitchen in a major metropolitan area, New York, LA, Paris, something like that. And over the next five years, every year, move and go to another job you know, go to another kitchen, go to another restaurant, right? In a major metropolitan area, go get your experience. And if you can go do that over the course of five years, you're going to be able to go open a restaurant anywhere you want. You're going to be able to go work for a chef anywhere you want. If you're truly successful and willing to put in that kind of work, you're going to be able to go get a job anywhere you want. And um, to me, when it comes down to transferable skills, I don't think a lot of people see sales as a transferable skill. You see it as I understand my product And I get really good at that product, but that's really not true. If you get really, really good at sales, you should be able to go replicate yourself. That's
0: exactly right. It does not get considered as a vertical when it's in fact, it is the vertical that gets you into everything, right? It's the vertical that gets you. Yeah, yeah, because the universal issue that most companies have is not enough sales, not fast enough or not affordable enough sales, right? They're paying too much for new customers. It's a universal issue. There isn't a single company where they're like, hey, listen, we don't want more sales. And the last thing we want to do is to be paying less per sale, right? So we're, we're good on it. And it's, and no it's company recession, ever recession proof. Yeah, yeah. It, it is recession proof. Yeah. The worse the recession is, actually, the more people need people to be able to hustle and create some sales. And, you know, I had a consulting gig recently, which which kind of winding down. And uh, towards the end of it, I had some hours to burn, and they were behind on addressing a whole bunch of leads. And, and so I did a basically three week stretch in the last like couple months here where I was making cold calls probably five, six hours a day. And you know what? I had a blast. I really had a fun time because it was in the setting that I was in, understanding – and that's the piece I think I want to tell all salespeople who are starting out. Like you go, oh, this is so difficult. I'm getting rejected so much. And there's two reasons you're thinking that. You're thinking rejection is something you did something wrong versus you just didn't find a live one, right? That's all that means is you didn't find a live one. Um, But the other thing is you think you're going to be making 100 – you know dials a day for the rest of your life you're not the quicker you do those hundred dials a day the more of that you do the faster you do it the more you make distinctions and learn and become better at what you do and the quicker you graduate out of that sort of you know initial thing right so um and 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 then you'll get to a point if you're really like sales where you actually miss that kind of contact i mean now i'm almost like man that was a fun run i'm just kind of sad that's over like i had i had a fun time just (laughs) calling people. And actually I blew up a ton of leads, you know, where I would just flat out, you know, Hey, listen, based on this quick three minute conversation we've had, I don't think this is a fit. Thanks for playing. Um, you know, and, and then the more I did that, the more people were like, well, hang on. I didn't say that Why, that, you know, pulling back at me, right. Creating that, that push pull energy. That's so, that's so key. So yeah, I, it's, you know, I, and it's where, I mean, for me, it's where the obsession comes from. Right. It, it's where the, uh, the obsession. And I also think the times when you're right, you guys you know, have had those experience where you've told the client something and they don't believe you and they fight you on it. And then eventually they go along or something happens and you get proven right. And they're like, man, I should have listened to you. Right. And that's, those are pretty it, it, powerful. It's the consulting,
2: yeah. The consulting part of sales. I mean, I, I love, and I just remember doing this, you know, even in the mortgage business, but, um, even today, like I, I firmly believe in my product. Right the end of the day, it's not my product. These are the fundamental building blocks that you need to be looking at for your business. I happen to think we have a good product. I'd love to do business with you. But regardless, please take action. If if this isn't the right fit, go find Big something up. that is. Yep. And, and taking yourself out of that picture, and um, I, it just changes the game. It, it, monumentally it, we're no longer powerful. adversarial. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. We're, we're on at the same table now.
0: Yeah, right? monumentally powerful. So uh, Cord, I don't know if you remember, a couple uh, – half a block away from our office – there was a place called Herman's Used Office Furniture. Remember that? It was that when you turned left out of our parking lot, it was in the first complex
1: on the right, right I, there, right. I remember it well, and yeah. I think I know the story.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and Herman was this guy. I mean, back in the nineties, he was one hundred ninety-eight years old. I mean, I I'd be like, you know, first time <laughs> I met him, I was like, what was it like when Lincoln was elected? You know, because that was a pretty controversial. Like, because you were around. I mean, Herman was just. And he walked, his forehead was almost parallel to the ground, you know, because he was so old and hunched back and he wore suspenders and he was just this one guy. And Herman would always complain to me that our newspaper ads weren't getting good enough response. He's like, you know, I do the sale on Saturday, I advertise it on Friday, and I got two people in the parking lot, right? You guys aren't bringing in people. And I would always tell him, I said, you know, Herman, like, dude, you're doing 5% off a $200 desk. Okay. That's 10 bucks. Nobody's excited about saving 10 bucks. You're not, you're not, you don't have a powerful enough call to action to get me to come in this weekend. You're just selling office furniture at the regular price. So I'll get there when I get there, but you didn't move it up my list of priorities. Well, so this one time the ad makeup department screws up the ad, right? And I forget what it was. Oh yeah. Instead of doing 5%, they did $50 off, right? So like it said, $50 off. It was these chairs. It was supposed to be 5% off these, um, I forget what they were called, Herman Miller or something. There was some kind of big fancy desk manufacturer or chair manufacturer, so these office chairs. So the ad makeup department screws up and puts a huge discount, basically 50 bucks off of a $120 chair, right? So my, I check my voicemail on Saturday because I'm getting paged. And Herman is reading me the riot act on the voicemail because he showed up in his parking lot that morning and there was 172 people parked out in front of his store to get the $50 off the the chair, right? So I get in my car, cross the darn 520 bridge, go all the way back into the office. Type up a letter on letterhead to put immediately on his front door saying, hey, it was a misprint in the newspaper. This guy is not trying to do a bait and switch. It was completely the newspaper's fault. You know, So I come in. I'm mea culpa apologizing. I put this letter up on his door. He's like, "You know, thanks for doing that. And as I'm walking away, I turn around. I go, by the way. And he goes, yeah, don't ever tell me the newspaper doesn't work again. We're done having that conversation, (laughs) right? Because I put 172 people in your parking lot, right? So he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And sure enough, man, three months later, I don't think the newspaper works. You want to do a $50 off office chairs again? See how many people I can put in your parking lot this weekend? No, (laughs) no, no, no. He never haggled on price again after that one, right? Because it was just such a clear example that, like this whole time I've been telling you, you're not putting, and his offers started moving up and his ROI, to go back to that, Steve, on, yeah. His ROI on newspaper advertising went through the roof because he started actually putting, yeah, because he started actually letting himself get taught, right? And, and got outside of that ego phase that we get in where we think we can't learn anything new, right? Um, people are always surprised to find out I go to sales trainings. They're like, where are you going? Oh, you got back from what in Orlando? A sales summit? Why do you go to a sales summit? You're a sales trainer. I'm like, because I'm a sales trainer is why I go to a sales. <laughs> I don't assume that I already know it all and that I can't learn anything new, right? So, uh,
1: yeah. If, if you guys will I'm let just me...
2: shocked that you're oh. you're freely freely dropping uh, facts that you used to have a pager and you'd listen to cassette tapes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, not not, not only common that, common dude, but but somebody we all know, Brian, was pushing me on getting more sales training things, and I switched cars and got a nicer car and it had a CD player in it. But at the time, all my sales training materials were on cassettes. And I walked into one of the audio places on North 23rd right there or North 20 whatever it was, 230th, and told the guy, I need you to pull out the CD player and put a cassette tape player. And he's like, what? Nobody's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: They'd sell you an adapter. Yeah. Hey, I want to do a couple things if it's all right. First, I've had the weakest story today, and I want to redeem myself. Okay. Second. We talked about the importance of sales training. We've got Covey, we've got Tracy. Yeah. And I'm gonna put you guys on the hot seat. Who else would you recommend and are there any modern people and why you think about it? I'll tell a story of a, we were talking about poker leading up to the, uh, yeah. leading up to, and I just thought of the like a terrible bad beat that I suffered in sales, <clears throat> where sometimes you could do everything absolutely right and you still end up, I can tell you how my emotions tasted that day. They tasted like (laughs) chicken, like three pounds of chicken tenders. Yeah, yeah. So um, while you're thinking, if you don't mind, I'm gonna kind of hijack the show for a moment here.
0: Yeah, read it yourself.
1: Tell us a good story. So I was working for a radio station, and this guy is famous, and his restaurant is not famous because this is a guy who famously lost the rights to his name, and his original restaurant was named after him. And we had gone um, back and forth and back and forth and I had a huge contract ready to go with him a full scale campaign across all three of our stations. And I mean it was the kind it was it was not a career maker, but it was a it was a year or a, you know, you're you're sitting pretty. You're you're really contributing to the the bottom line of your stations with this kind of a deal. I go and I, I bought a cross pen. For him to sign and to hand it over to him, I ordered three pounds of chicken tenders to bring back to the office and celebrate. Confirmed that this was going to happen that day. Drive in there and we talked about Seattle and Seattle traffic. That that villain rears its head at the end of the day here. Um, but I show up on t- I'm I'm on time I'm early. Talk to the guy. Um, he the place is in an uproar. He is visibly upset, sweating, sweat through his shirt. His it's a chicken restaurant. His fryers, his fryer system had gone out that morning. Oh. Had to buy an entirely new fryer system that day. And so no signing. No and I drive out and I hit one of the top five traffic jams of the year. <laughs> 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 Mariner's game dumping at the same time as something else. Or, yeah. Random
2: Tuesday. Read or read Yeah, Tuesday. yeah, yeah.
1: It, yeah it, it, it hadn't reached that point yet. It, it, Yeah, this would be Monday now or Sunday afternoon. But just, so it was just me and my, my disappointed emotions and three pounds of chicken tenders and a party waiting for me at the office. And just, I, I could tell you exactly what my emotions tasted like that day. Yeah. And I could tell you how much they weighed. There was nothing left. in. I was in traffic for an hour and a half sitting with that bad beat. And I ate every ounce of those three pounds of chicken So there was nuggets. no chicken nuggets? <laughs> I came in with three greasy bags to a celebration that got canceled when I arrived. There will I be no nuggets. No nuggets for anyone in this situation. I don't get a deal. You don't get any tenders. Yeah. And I just crumbled up the greasy bag and threw it
0: against the wall. Taking my nuggets and I'm going home. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. It was. Yeah, I got so.
0: I got uh you know there's somebody we all know who used to own a little magazine in uh in Seattle and uh I worked for him directly for a little while where I was you know chasing some accounts and I got thrown out so violently out of a car dealership I mean the guy just basically you know don't come back don't check in on me blah 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 and and uh Dude, I didn't even draw. I didn't even do the chicken nuggets thing. I, I, yeah. I was. I could tell you exactly. I drove 1.7 miles to the nearest movie theater right there in Renton, and I, I walked in and I sat through uh, Watchmen twice in a row. <laughs> I watched that movie. It's like a two and a half hour movie. I watched that movie twice in a row to get like the bad taste of that experience out of my mouth. It was such a bad sales call, right?
1: Oh, so there's some yeah. bad beats out there waiting yeah. for you. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny.
0: Uh, references. So answer oh, yeah, your question. I out
1: training some modern training or if there's a bad beat story.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, So so to me, the reference is just first of all, like, yes, Brian Tracy's psychology is selling. Absolutely epic. Seven habits of highly effective people. I don't care if you're in sales or accounting or dry cleaning. You should read that book. I, I reread that book every January 1st. It now takes me only about like you know a day and a half to go through the book because I've reread it. But I'm now on my 17th year uh, – 18th year, excuse me, of rereading that book every single year. Uh, and I pick up something new or in more depth from it every single year that I read it. It's it's literally one of the greatest sharp in the saw, which is ironically enough, The Seventh Habit. Uh, it's great, one of the greatest sharp in the saw books uh, ever written, in my opinion. Really, really sad that he passed away uh, because all the stuff he used to put online was, re- was really great. But to me, there's a couple books fundamentally that you have to have on your bookshelf. Um, and if you don't, you're not serious about being in sales. It's just that simple. And none of them are my books, so I'm not getting any royalties from this. Um, I, I think you got to have uh, The Little Red Book of Selling by Jeffrey Gittermer because it isolates some concepts so well, including the concept of people hate to be sold but love to buy. Um, you got to have The Sandler Rules uh, by Dave Matson. I think if you don't have that book on your bookshelf, again, you're not serious about sales. And on a more sophisticated level, I think you've got to read um, – uh, Matthew Dixon's The Challenger Sale and Neil Rackham's SPIN Selling. I mean, to me those are the big 4 yeah. where if those aren't on your bookshelf, you're you're just missing out And there a couple of them are not easy reads. Sandler Rules is a super easy read. Yeah. It's a fantastic read. You know, Ma- Ma- uh, Dixon's book, Challenger Sale and, and SPIN Selling, they get a little bit more in the weeds because they're very scientifically based, but they're still absolutely worth it. So, Davis, what about you? What's yeah. your what's your book
2: list? I it's funny. I I don't like a lot of sales books. Um, I I you know I think that you know when whenever uh, an author is focusing on a gimmick or a trick or a technique that is the um, the golden rule that that's going to get you into the quick money, like it's usually just not good. Um, I'm a big fan of of um, you know investing and in, in learning and and taking what works and applying it to yourself and the concept of adapt and adopt. And and to that point, actually, Julian, I don't like the the Sandler rules. Um, it, it's not that I don't like their rules. There's not a whole lot of context for someone that's never gone through the system um, that it's just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. Mm. So one of these days we'll have to have a conversation with that offline. But um, the two that you mentioned at the end, spin selling, that was introduced to me. uh, Oh shoot. A long time ago, probably uh, 10, 12, 13 years ago, somewhere in there. Uh, I, I, uh, I didn't, I really didn't like it when I first um, was exposed to it. Because of the word spin selling and, and back to a gimmick, back to um, like you're hoodwinking people and convincing people to do something. Yeah. And, and for those that are unaware of it, spin selling is an acronym for how to really properly go through a discovery phase and to be uncomfortable or be comfortable being uncomfortable with difficult conversations yep. and really working to uncover pain and then leveraging that to solve a problem. And then the challenger sale, to me, it, it's almost like the second um, the, the second chapter in that or the second, uh, the sequel to, yeah. to Spin yeah, Selling. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah. actually, yeah. Neil yeah. Rackman, Neil Rackman
0: did the, the forward for the, forward for, uh, for, the challenger for, uh, yep, sale. Yep, yep, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep.
2: And and the dichotomy there is is the modern approach to selling where you know the the typical um, let me go through a whole bunch of discovery questions and and ask you all these questions to uncover things um, for most uh, buyers today they don't want to go through that like that that model is somewhat broken and you have to somewhat um, uh, you know change your paradigm still go through that process. But potentially go through a different way of, of teaching people about potentially trends in an industry or problems that the industry is facing and how you could ultimately solve that. And yeah. um, that book in particular, I think that that's the one I will reread um, at least annually, if, if annually, if not multiple times a year. Yeah. Um, Seven Habits. Uh, I, it's sitting on my desk. Um, I, <laughs> uh, it's been sitting on my desk for about six months now since we went uh, went to COVID. I, I I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chapter every day and. I've not cracked the spine. I think it's a, a tough book to read that's really a, a somewhat a, – I don't know. It's not necessarily lively, but um, based off your, again, enthusiastic recommendation, it's one that I'll make sure that I, I recommit to reading. So to me, to me, here's
0: what I would say. I think if you try to read the book in full depth the first time that you read it, you get discouraged because it's so dense, dense as in densely packed with yes. stuff, right? So the best way to do it is just get through it once. And then come back and read things at a future time. Just get through it once because there's a lot of stuff that he teaches towards the end of the book that makes the whole book make sense. Right. And, and, and you're reading something and you're like, I don't, I don't get why we're discussing this. And then, you know, you get to like the seventh chapter and you're like, oh, I get it now. All the elements are in place. Right. So,
2: yeah. You know, that, that said, um, that book was one of the most influential books on my career. Um, and I can, you know, unequivocally say that despite the fact that I, you know, it's a bit, dense. Um, It was that one. And there was a it was a a goal setting book by Brian Tracy. um, And the psychology of goal setting and the importance of goal setting and and the importance of um, the way that you go through it and and the process that you go through it and, um, and and just the psychological uh, impact that that has. Um, That was that was not only a book that I got. um, I got the CD too, because, you know,
0: you were more – yeah, you're younger than me, so you did. Hey, listen, <laughs> I remember the first Brian Tracy seminar I went to, he was doing – you guys remember the overhead projectors from school or did you guys not go through yeah. He had one of those yeah, where yeah, the plastic is winding and he's, dry, he's writing on a grease pencil <laughs> and it's projecting it above him yeah. like up on the board. Like that's – that's some serious throwback stuff right there, right? That's some serious yeah. throwback stuff, there, the overhead projector. But, yeah, Brian Tracy was great too, and he was just – he made so much sense. That's the piece that I've always loved about him is he just – as he's rationally breaking it down, it just makes so much sense. And I remember just – I actually have a memory of being in the car listening to him and going, duh, why don't I do
2: that? Why don't I say that? Of course, yeah.
0: that makes perfect sense. It's almost like he's showing you I, what's been in front of you I the whole time. I would pull over.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I would pull over. I'd write something down. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's 100%, 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, those, those are, those are, uh, those are, those are uh, a great. So I'll tell you guys one other sales story because this one to me was one of those times where, you know, you know how you said a bad beat, and this was the opposite, Corda. This is like I did everything wrong and I sucked it out on the river, right? <laughs> like the, the one that card in the deck too. that could save me, right? Shows up on the river. Yeah. I should have folded a long time ago and now I've got this bad habit of thinking I should play, you know, two eight off suit because yeah, that's a great hand. Let me go into that, right? And I, I go, so um at the time I was selling uh, uh home communications, home satellite systems, right? Which is, we would come in and actually put the 10 foot Papasan chair dish like in the yard and you know, you're, you're the darn thing would rotate to capture the different satellites for people to be able and we work in areas where people didn't have cable. So you would walk in and be like, Hey, listen, the cable company's not gonna be out here for four years. If you want HBO, I'm it, right? And so mm-hmm. we would sell these <laughs> things. And our leads were set for us by telemarketers. So, you know, you'd show up in the office at about, you know, noon or one o'clock you'd kind of like you prep your thing and then the telemarketers be like okay you got three three sits tonight here's the addresses they're all within like five miles of each other sometimes sometimes you drove a lot so I'm this rural podunk city somewhere in Florida somewhere between Lakeland and Tampa and uh I go on on my second appointment and I closed the first one that day so it was like oh I've already got my contract for the day right I'll go on the next appointment and it was my last one. I only had two sits that day. And typically when I only had two sits, I would canvas the neighborhood, knock on some doors, but I wasn't in the mood. I already had my contract, my short-sighted, I already had my contract for the week I was done or for the day. <laughs> so I was done. So I walk into this appointment and it's in a trailer. It's in a double wide trailer. And my clients are this massively obese woman and her massively obese son, right? The two of them are, i not a good, I've never been a good just, just a guesstimator of people's weight, but they were easily 350 You know, they were 350 to 400 easily, that's that level of obesity. And the trailer was disgusting, like disgusting on an epic level, like Piles of cat and dog excrement, like in different portions around the house. The smell was bad enough to make your eyes water, right? It was just one of those things. So <laughs> I walked in, and our presentation was typically about 45 minutes. That's how long it took us to kind of walk. Hey, these are your choices. This is what you can do. This is how you, you know, use the system, and blah blah blah. And then we we would go for the close. Well, that 45 presentation got delivered in 20 minutes because I was convinced I was going to hurl if I stayed in there like more than half an hour, right? And not kidding you guys, literally. 12 minutes into it, a rat that was the size of a small man went from the arm of the sofa to the coffee table to the floor and scannered off, and I'm the only one in the room that flinched. Nobody else even noticed it. Like, it was just a normal happenstance, right? So I couldn't wait to get out of there. Now, we had a range of stuff that we could quote, right? So you would look around and you go, well, these people aren't going to be able to afford the top system, so I'll quote them the bottom system or the middle system to try to make a sale. And in this case, I'm like, I'm going to quote them the most expensive system with all the bells and whistles, everything. So they throw me out very quickly and I can move on with my day, probably by jumping into a pool of formaldehyde and chlorine and, you know, (laughs) walking through the car wash naked to get like the detox thing on this on, on me. Right. So so I quote them the highest price possible on the nicest system possible. And to my great surprise, they agree to it. They're like, "Yep, perfect. You know, we're in." And I'm like, "Crap!" Another five minutes in here filling out the paperwork, right? They give me the check, blah blah blah. I bring this back to the office and I hand it to the finance guy, who's the guy who would take all their information and pull credit and make sure that these guys could get financed on it. Because these were like, you know, anywhere between, you know, three to twelve thousand dollar system. Now this guy, I had these people on the hook for like fourteen, right? Because I had every bell and whistle in the thing, and uh. To my great surprise, the finance guy comes back and goes, yep, they're both on disability, they're both on pensions, they totally qualified, deal went through, and then, of course, for the next few weeks, you know, the owner and manager of the company is like, "Why can't you guys be more like Julian? He can sell the top tier mm-hmm. systems. You guys tell me that, and I'm going <laughs> it's like blast Wolf face planted into that deal. I have no idea what I did right. So, so the the opposite of the bad beat is the sucking it out on the river with no explanation yeah. as to why the two of clubs decided to land in that particular, you know, at that moment, right? So I think
2: this is a, a Wasserman quote, but hey, even a blind squirrel finds a nut.
0: Yeah, that's a great Wasman quote, actually. That's a, or Timism, as uh, as uh, as Darren yeah. used to call them Timisms. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's it, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And I mean, I tell that story sometimes. I'm like, guys, don't judge a book by its cover, like you don't know. Go through your your process, right? Go through your process no matter what, because there's a lot, there's a lot of secret millionaires out there. And I've, I, I sold one really yeah. big deal to a guy once, and and uh, when we were talking, He was telling me, you know, we're walking out. We're chewing the fat in his driveway after we kind of done the paperwork and stuff. And he's like, uh, yeah. Uh, I said, so how long have you lived here? And he goes, well, I in this house only one year, but on this street, 22 years. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I also own that house, that house, that house, that house and that house. He goes, the only one I don't own on this street is 2304 over there. And when I buy it, I'm going to ask the city to rename the street in my name. Right. So this guy like living in a what looked like a one hundred eighty thousand dollar house is actually a multimillionaire who basically owns an entire street in Bellevue, Washington. And I was like, what? You know, and, but don't look at the guy. You would have thought, OK, you're like, dude, you, you need a couple bucks for a cup of coffee. Like, you're, you know, you're clearly like down on your luck. I mean, that's what you look. You know, you can never judge a book by its cover, obviously. Right.
1: Yeah. How true. But, yeah. That kind of gets back at a, a concept you've talked about before where you took all the pressure off. And in fact, the pressure was on to get out of there. <laughs> you were right. You had sort of reverse pressure and, and yeah, took all the pressure off, did the ask that might be tough in another situation and, yeah, sucked it out.
0: Listen, the sell, not sell thing is really brilliant, especially when it's genuine. It's hard to pull off as a fake move, but it's when it's genuine. And again, these last three weeks, uh, that three week stretch I was telling you guys about where I made a bunch of cool calls. I called clients with literally the attitude of I could – I mean my my mind frame was I don't care if you sign, right? So so, so the opening line, the opening pitch included saying, hey, listen, uh, we've been asked to contact you to give you this information. I just – I need you to be patient with me. Give me 10 minutes. Let me walk you through what this is and then tell me you're not interested and I'll leave you alone. Right. I mean, it's th- that simple. It was kind of. I, and and so my assumption was that they went into the call with the assumption of he doesn't really want to do business. And I think the people sense when that's there and it makes them curious. It makes him lean in. Right. It's the most elemental form of of the of the reverse. W- one thing to address, uh, Davis, you, you, you know, you said you didn't like the book, The Sandler Rules, because it it there. It doesn't make sense to non salespeople or to people that are not well trained or not well trained in Sandler. I actually think there's some very core concepts in there that are so universal and so simple that sometimes people like overlook them. You know, Um, my favorite being sales of the Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. When you take that on its level and you then analyze it further, it's like it's I don't I don't need to be Sandler trained to find the gold in that statement. Going back to what we were saying at the beginning of this, right, which is. Um, product knowledge versus understanding human behavior enough to be able to get into the room and have the meeting. But the part, the product knowledge serves really well is the conviction is driving the conviction in your product where you, it doesn't mean it's a fit for everybody, right? Because I don't care what you're selling. There's somebody out there who it's not a fit for, right? So when they're like, everybody should buy this, it's like, that's a stupid, immature comment for a sales professional to make. But, um, yeah, there are there, but there, there really is leading with that conviction it's so powerful. And I look at it in terms of how it affects me currently when I talk to somebody and they're like, well, you know, we don't really believe in spending money on training. I, I mean, it's just, I just look at them and go, listen, we could keep talking if you want, <clears throat> but you're literally telling me like, you know, the sky is black and during the day and blue at night. Like you're, you're saying things that I factually know to be false. Right. So you're like, well, I'm not, you're not going to convince me here. I mean, maybe I'm going to convince you as well. And, um, you know, again, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The Social Dilemma uh, on Netflix right now. It,
2: it's, no, I'm not. i not seen it yet. No. It's,
0: it's really worth watching. It's scary. I mean, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be scared. I was listening to Joe Rogan just interviewing John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, and they actually referenced that movie. And and uh, Joe Rogan's actually had the main person in that movie on the podcast as well. But you know. It, It's so the problem with all the information that's going on is people have to go to a sort, right? So something happened when the internet started providing us more information that we could digest is that the information relationship humans started having was not about seeking out information. It became about what can I edit out so I can just get the stuff that's relevant to me. And what that movie illustrates is that the AIs around social media and those things have created these echo chambers where you can get convinced of believing something. If you don't walk into every situation with a simple premise Um, – and they actually talk about it. Mackie and Rogan actually talk about it almost in this way, which is your beliefs are the clothes you wear. They're not you. They're the clothes you're wearing right now, but your beliefs may change over time based on evidence changing over time, yeah. right? And so in the same way as as you talk about, hey, I've seen this business model in action. I know that it works. Well, circumstances could change so that somebody could come in and show you enough evidence that it's not working that you could go, all right, this business model used to work, but no longer works, right? You're going to mend, you're going to change, you're going to change your clothes, right? And, 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 uh, and so yeah. you know, all of a sudden you go, hey, this shirt doesn't fit anymore, right? It's not that it was a bad shirt when I wore it, but it doesn't doesn't fit anymore. It's been it shrunk in the wash. And sorry to bring the shirt. Because I've
2: been sitting in my home office and drinking too much. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. But the, the, I the, think the that's, shirt has not shrunk. The shirt, <laughs> but the, it's it's the humility piece. It's the you know, and I think that's the. When people say, what's the what's the magic ingredient? What's the secret sauce to sales? right? It's really hard to answer that question because it's not any one tactic or any one approach or anything else. But I think it really comes down to when you walk into the conversation with the conviction of your product, but the humility of understanding that in that particular situation, it may not be a fit. In that particular situation for this particular client, it may not be something that makes sense. And that just changes the whole, whole tone of the conversation, and it also puts you in a position yeah. of of this sort of equilibrium where you're not walking in with um, this attachment to the outcome of them saying, "I agree with you, you have a wonderful product, and I want to buy it." Right? Yeah. Um, you understand? Some of them may say, "It's a great product, it's not a fit for us at this time." I love that answer. Right? Hey, we love what you do. Yeah. We just don't. We're not in a position where that's a priority. Right? I had a guy trying to sell me yeah, solar this I, week. Yeah. And a guy tried to sell me solar power. Yeah.
2: I like that experience, that, that example. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's like, dude, yeah. I absolutely, man. But it's not on my top three list. I got three other things I need to do before I get to that. And then he kept selling into that. And that's when he lost trust. Right. That's, that's yeah. like, you know, if, if he had said, Hey, I totally get it. I don't know whether I'll be selling solar in three years or in two years when you've knocked off your two or three other items. But it's like, you know, the, the, the humility that he would have had to demonstrate that moment to say, I get it. I while I see it as a great opportunity, I understand that your vision and your scope and you can see things that I can't see in terms of other repairs that your house needs that you want to get to before that. So I you know, I totally get it. it's I think that's yeah. that's the piece that I really hope people tie back into this sort of like this conviction. I mean, and don't even, you know, don't even get me started on where we are politically in this country. That's part of the problem. Is everybody one hundred percent, convinced and only seeks out evidence to confirm their conviction they don't use a scientific method of, yeah. I believe a is a so let me see if I can disprove that and only in failing to disprove it do I make it more true or convince myself more of it right
2: And there's two things I want to say um, the reason for that is on social media it's too easy to hide and argue with someone versus like I did to you and like I don't understand this Julian I, 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 I I've not wanted to get into it with anyone. Yep. Just give me the perspective. I, I might disagree with the perspective. I just want to understand what that perspective yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And yep. Because you and I have such a, a great, great trust and relationship. like yep. I could agree or disagree with you. You're not going to be offended. You're yep. just going to give me the, the information that I was, a course, perfect. Yep. Um, the other thing that I, I wanted to say, uh, and then I don't know if we have to wrap a wrap a call or whatever. Um, back to. um he said something like it's not a matter of working hard, it's working smarter than other people and, yep. and back to you making 100 phone calls and all of a sudden you're getting better. I remember Darren Schwartz, you know, again, I never worked with him all that much, but just one of the manager meetings that I, I walked into once uh, on the whiteboard, he says uh, sales, uh, sales results, you know, um, uh, basically success is a mathematical formula and it's skill times activity is going to reach success yep okay and and like that to me, it just goes back to sharpening this like early on, yeah, you've got to make a hundred or two hundred phone calls a day because you don't have the skill later on, you've got the skill, but if you're not willing to put in that activity. You know, all the skill in the world times zero is zero. Is zero,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. The ratio between those two things may change. You may go from doing fifty times three to three times fifty, right? In terms of, but ultimately you have to have two numbers, or you're going to end up with zero, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: And when they both when they both go up because of a mathematical formula, right? It's exponential. Yeah. it's not multiplied by one it's not a, uh, additive right so when you get better at the skill and you can increase that activity because both of those things have happened right you make more phone calls to get into more demos and, and you got better at those phone calls, so you get more demos you get more demos you get better at selling you're, you're, you're you know you're sitting more you're selling more you know
0: yeah no a great uh, it's, it's a great say, thought to wrap yeah. it up on i i, I totally agree with that so that's exactly right um and that's why i think anybody that says oh i have the formula it's uh you know it's a uh, hundred activity times four skill. You're like, oh, some people it's going to be, you know, 50 activity times eight skill. Other people, it's going to be eight, eight yeah. activity times 50 skill, but the, you got, you got to have those numbers have to be, you know, they both have to be positive. And you got to be
2: working at both of them. You yep. got to be working at both of them.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, Yep. Correct. Awesome. Well, thank you gentlemen for the, uh, for the regathering. It's been too long since we've done this. Um, Likewise. I, I appreciate being involved and it's been fun, fun watching it go. So thanks both of you guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, that was the conversation with the two Steves. Hope uh, you guys enjoyed that. Hey, if you're kicking off the new year and you are a sales leader, um, there's one piece of software that I really want to highly recommend to you guys. It's called Refract. Uh, It's actually a web-based service. Refract.ai is where you find it online. If you don't know what your salespeople are saying, um, if you don't know how much of them are doing the talking versus how often the client is talking, if you don't have a sense of what it is that's winning you business, what differentiates in terms of specific things that they say, sequences that they say it in between your top reps and your bottom reps, or even your middle of the pack and your top reps, um, Refract is really the answer to that. Um, if you go to refract.ai slash salesfix, they can uh, provide you with uh, access to that tool. And I, you know I, they explain it better than I do, but ultimately it comes down to just that self-awareness that you have as a sales organization to know what's contributing to your wins and what's not contributing to your wins. And I'm a big fan of this software. It's, I've used it. I've used it with some of my clients. I've had some of my clients run with it and really use it even more than what I use it. And there's also a training tool tied to it. So as a training platform and as an awareness platform plugs right into your CRM system, most likely really something that I'd highly recommend. And next week on the podcast, we're actually bringing on Richard Smith uh, from Refract. Um, They just released a book. Him and a couple of other guys released a book. And so we're going to talk about that next week. So you can look forward to that episode. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in.